Good morning. I think that's the first cowboy hat we've ever had on stage at, at Novation. If you don't know Andrew, he's uh, from Louisiana, and we met him uh, on our mission trip to the DR back in January, and then he moved in and moved here and is living with the Panders and is a quality young man. So we appreciate you, Andrew. Yeehaw. Um, also, did you notice Josiah was back in the house today? And uh, he's home from the DR and going back in January. Him and Josh, who plays keyboards, they're brothers, if you couldn't tell. And uh, they just did like almost a month in Australia and had a pretty cool little trip that they, they got gifted. So it's good to have them back. Love seeing them. Such a crucial part of our, our church family and our ministry. want to give you a heads up, save the date sort of deal. Um, Thanksgiving Eve. So the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, we're going to do a brief uh, thankfulness communion service right here at the church. So it's going to be at six o'clock. It's no child care. This is, we're going to do some worship. We're going to read some Psalms. We're going to give thanks and praise to God, take communion, and then you can go get ready for your Thanksgiving meal the next day. So just know we'll be here. Doors will be open Thanksgiving Eve at 6 p.m. Looking forward to that. I've always wanted to do that. I feel like this was the year to, to get that, maybe a new tradition going. Um, so let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness. I thank you for my church family, Lord, and the, the love that is in this community, God. That's all glory to you for that, God. I thank you for that. I pray you would continue to strengthen this community and our relationships through the gospel, through caring for one another, as we lay aside our own preferences and agendas to follow you and to follow what you have for us as a church family. We pray that we would, we would grow and that more people would come and find uh, Lord, the, the special thing that you've put in our church, in this, in this community, and that we would be a disciple-making continually, uh, disciples who make disciples, and to fulfill your great commission that you've called us to be as a church family. God, I pray for everybody watching or that's in this room today that has, has burdens as we were just singing about, Lord, that they'd be able to put them on your shoulders cast their cares upon you, their anxieties and struggles and stress. Lord, I, I ask for blessing over our marriages that are in novation, that you would strengthen those uh, relationships, families, parents, kids to their parents. Lord, I pray for the friendships in novation, God, that we would be marked with love, like you said in Jesus' name. I ask this morning, Lord, as I teach, that you would be the teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a, a really special uh, manila folder file. I have a cabinet of like pretty much every message I've ever done. And so I have two full, like there's like close to 800 to 1,000 messages in my life. Even all the way back to the days when I was a youth pastor and, and terrible. I know I haven't gotten that much better, but um, I'm teasing. That's part of humor, self-abasing, right? But um, 
I have this one folder that's in there, and it's from our oldest daughter, Chase's boot camp. All the letters that she wrote us when she was at boot camp for the Navy years ago. And I was going through it and just seeing how kind of homesick she was. And, but even deeper, she would write and tell us about her fellow recruits and how they, uh, like some of them would just cry in the middle of the night, cry out for home. They were so homesick and just like going through it. And, you know, I can't, can't imagine what that felt like, but she powered through that. And being homesick is a real thing. Being homesick, especially if you're connected to home and that's, that's your roots, that's where your people are. I remember uh, when I was a little boy, I got mad at my mom and I got so mad that I decided I was going to run away. So I took my pillowcase and I snuck into the cupboards and grabbed some cans of soup and this and that and made a little survival pack and threw that thing over my shoulder and snuck out. It's about nine o'clock at night, pitch black. And I started walking the path that I would go to school. Like it, there was a pathway to, to go to school I would walk to. And I remember I got to the park where um, on this path and it was dark and I started thinking, where am I going? Like, what am I gonna do? I'm like eight years old, right? <laughs> And I have nowhere to go. Am I going to sleep in the park? So I started having a good little self-talk there. And I was like, I'm going home. <laughs> and I turned around and I threw my pillowcase of stuff in my closet. And I went and gave my mom a big hug <laughs> and, and said, thank you for being a great mom. But that, like, where are you going to go? Like, where was an eight-year-old boy going to go? And I, I don't know if you can relate to this. But when I go on vacation, when we go on vacation, especially when the kids were younger, I would always count, like, how many days do we have? I'd be like, we got five days left. We got four days left. You better ring out the fun in this. We will have fun on vacation. I regret that as a dad, that I didn't see the the big picture that everybody wasn't going to be at my pace when it came to having fun. But there's just this internal clock that we all have. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick. That life just, man, it just rolls down the tracks. And it's like we're coming up on Christmas and Thanksgiving again. Like feels like two days ago that that just happened. I think there's a, an ache, there's a nag in all of the human race that, is this it? There's got to be more to life. And I think this reality called death has a lot to do with that. Because we know our lives have an expiration date. We don't really get a whole lot of say over that expiration date. But it's, it's there. And it causes that, that nag in our heart. I, I've met many people who you know, worked all their life to be retired. But then when they got retired, like I know people that have gotten sick. And they didn't get to enjoy all these years that they worked for to retire. And so even these things that seem like these monumental stuff, just there's still kind of this, this void. And I think the reality is we're living between worlds. We live between two worlds. We live between the present and what's going to be in eternal life with Jesus. And we're living in between these two worlds. So today, kicking off a new series called Longing for Home. And... We're going to look at, over the next several weeks, the theme of exile 
in Scripture. If you have been following the Bible Project reading plan and watching the videos, they do a great job of unpacking this theme of exile, this, this sense of homelessness, this sense of homesickness. So we're going to look at Israel and their exile into Babylon. And that happens at the end of 2 Kings, and then you get Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and, and Esther. These are the, the, when they're taken captive into to Babylon. And here's what I want you to do. To get this in your heart, not just information downloaded to you this morning, but I want you to get a realization we are all Israel. We are all in exile, so to speak. And the gospel will make so much more sense than just get out of jail free card or I get to go to heaven, but how do I live my life now? How do I live my life to the fullest now in between these two worlds? You look back at the theme of exile. Go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They were living in paradise. They had the presence of God tangible to them every day. They had everything they needed. And if you remember... That God said, you can eat of any of these trees. Look at all the lusciousness of of these trees. Eat from any of them. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they got duped and they ate. And death then entered into the human race. And they were banished from the garden. They were exiled out of the garden. And they wandered. Fast forward to Abraham. His calling to go to the promised land. He was a wanderer. You look at... um, Moses and the children of Israel, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place. They wandered and wandered and wandered. They were in exile, so to speak, as well. And finally, Israel gets a good run with David and Solomon in the kingdom of Israel and having a permanent home and in the temple and all of that. But then we know, as we've studied, Solomon, he broke covenant with God and the enemies of Israel, Babylon at the time, come and they take Israel captive and sack Jerusalem and break down the temple and all kinds of crazy stuff. So using this metaphor for exile from the practical reality of what happened to Israel is how you're going to get the most of what I'm talking about this morning. Here's a couple thoughts. In exile, you, you suffer. In exile, you suffer at the hands of of bad people. We're in exile. We're going to suffer at the hands of people. You're going to be mistreated in exile, misunderstood in exile. You're going to be disappointed in exile. You're going to get discouraged when you're in exile. Jesus understands all of this. Jesus came from his home in heaven with his, with his father and took on human flesh and became one of us and he entered into our world. And he did that, and through, through his, his practical human life, he said foxes have holes that they can sleep in, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He, he wandered in his ministry. They traveled around. They didn't have a permanent spot. But in his mission, he came to be the way out of exile for humanity, that we wouldn't feel like we didn't have, have a home, but we could know that we have a home in heaven with his father. And he did that through his life, death, and resurrection. And when you agree with him, you begin to understand this world isn't our home. And that when you're a follower of Jesus, that 
that at, at death, you're just entering into what is true reality with Jesus. So I want to read a passage out of Second Kings. And it's the practical story of what literally happened to the children of Israel in 586 B.C. In the Babylonian Empire was taking over the world. They later lost their empire to the Greeks, and then the Greeks lost it to, to the Romans. Thus, that's the time of Jesus, what was going on. But this is 586 B.C., 586 years before Jesus. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his captains and his officials. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord. Just as the Lord had said, then he led away into exile all Jerusalem and all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and the smiths, were the Joneses there too? Just kidding. Just want to see if you're listening. None remained except the poorest people of the land. So he led Jehoiakim away into exile to Babylon. Also the king's mother and the king's wives and his officials and the leading, of men, leading men of the land. He led away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen, and the smiths, 1,000, all strong and fit for war. And these the king of Babylon brought into exile to Babylon. That literally happened. Babylon comes and sacks Jerusalem and takes all the people, most of the people with them. And they go in to Babylon. And that's where the story of Daniel is, is all about and, and Esther and so forth. So they're not in their home. They're now, the promised land which they had entered, they were taken away from this promised land. When you see the word Babylon in the New Testament, remember that when the writers of the New Testament talked about using this metaphor of Babylon, Babylon was no more. So Babylon in the Bible is a reference to not being home, to being strangers in a strange land. And I think for us understanding what happened to Israel and we are Israel is this isn't home. As good as life can be, this still isn't our home. And there, there's that little ache in every human being that understands that. Peter, in his letter, talks to the, the, those that are in Babylon, greet you. What he meant was the church, which is scattered and homeless right now, they greet you. And in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John talks about Babylon. So it's important that you understand that. And so the next couple points, I'm going to use different words that have the same meaning. Heaven. When we think of heaven, you can also think of the Garden of Eden, paradise, the promised land. Those are all metaphors for what's to come in the life to come for those that follow Jesus, that are, that are in Christ. 
So it's use that interchangeably because ultimately Jesus, he's coming back and he's going to restore all things. Sometimes we get this idea that heaven is floating around in this, you know, smoke-filled place or whatever and we're playing harps and all of that. That's not heaven. That's not an understanding of what really is going to happen. When Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will come with him, and he's going to restore the earth. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And we're going to live on the renewed earth with him forever, in a place with no sickness, no sorrow, no sin, no death. No paperwork. No paperwork. No grasshoppers, too. First of all, we were made for Eden. I want you to remember that. You were made for Eden. You were made for paradise. We were not made to be in a place that, you know, has sickness or a world of death or destruction or sorrow. We weren't made for that. Adam and Eve were made for paradise, a place of perfection. And the quicker you and I realize that, you know, this isn't home as it is. There's a future home that is going to be the true, true Eden. But right now, the starting place is understanding that, uh, that little ache, that little fear of death, that little looming feeling that we have comes because we, we were made for Eden. We weren't made for a world of death and destruction. Secondly, What we're longing for is Eden. We're longing for Eden. That ache is our longing for home. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's so helpful. And then lastly, we're awaiting the true Eden. We're awaiting the true Eden. Those scriptures are important if you want to go check them out afterwards, you know, on your own. These are, those are prophecies about the future. So when Israel went into captivity in Babylon, they eventually come back to Jerusalem. They come back. And in, in these prophecies, they're so huge and so big about the lion and the lamb being together and that in a desolate place will become like the Garden of Eden. And, and in Isaiah 19, it says that God calls, says, Egypt will also be my people. Assyria will be my people. Those were the sworn enemies of Israel. And they're his people. They're not right now. And one day, though they will be. And that's, that's the prophecies that are ahead in the true Eden when Jesus you know, he returns. And so I think it's important to realize those prophecies haven't been fulfilled. We're living between two worlds. As believers, we're a lot like the Jewish people who left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. Because when they got back to Jerusalem, I mean, they had heard stories of the greatness that, you know, this is generations. They had heard stories of the greatness of how Solomon built up Jerusalem and, and all the things that they had. And they got there and they were like, what? Like, this is it? The, there's no temple. The walls have been torn down. Everything has been brutalized by, by war and, and Babylon. And I think for us, realizing this isn't home, but looking forward to the restoration of all things, as Jesus called it. We realize that his second coming, Revelations 21 and 22, is the picture of 
Eden, the true Eden coming to earth. The new Jerusalem coming out of heaven onto the earth. That's what's going to happen at his return. When you look at the first coming of Jesus, he didn't come focused on political things or or, uh, unseating Rome at their power. He came to deal with the spiritual forces behind Rome, behind all the craziness of humanity. Jesus came the first time to deal with our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. And he stripped the evil one of his authority, of their authority on this earth. When Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers of darkness, he's saying behind everything that you see that's, that's chaos and, and hideous in humanity and society, there is a force and a power behind that that we are wrestling with when we wrestle in prayer. That's what's coming against us. It's a real deal. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. Now, I'm not a big proponent of, of talking to the devil a whole lot, but I know he's talking to you and I, and his schemes are to, to trip us up and to deceive us and to accuse us. Don't listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Jesus came to deliver us from exile. So how do we live in exile? It was kind of cool. Janelle and I were driving in the car, um, I think it was Tuesday, God just started downloading these, these truths to me that I feel like he has for, for you this morning. How do we live, if this isn't our home, and we're living between two worlds, we're in exiles, so to speak, how do we live? How do you and I live? Well, first of all, I would say this. Live your best life now. Live your best life now. Stay focused on the call that God has on your life. Not on the call of somebody else. Stay focused on his call for you. It's amazing in Jeremiah 29, a prophecy about uh, Israel, the Jewish people being in Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, he tells them, you may have heard this famous verse, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper, to heal, and so forth. We love to claim that promise, but when we don't read it in context, it's not going to have the same spiritual power in us. He's saying, while you're in captivity, while you're in exile, I want you to make families, plant vineyards, bless the city, do good to those around you. Do good to the city. It's a pretty cool picture of like the church too. Like we're, we're in, this isn't our home, but we're to do good in this world that's, that's in darkness. We're to be salt and light, like, like Jesus said. So for you and I, live your life like a short-term mission trip. Uh, Shasta Van Sickle is coming home today from the Dominican Republic. She went down with handfuls of hope and did a medical mission and been blessing the poor people of the DR for the last week. And if you could see your life like what she's doing and what many of us have done in a short-term mission trip is you leave home, you go to a place that maybe they don't speak the language, maybe they don't have the, you don't understand the culture, but you go to bless, you go to share the gospel, you go, you're eventually going to come home. And our lives are like that. Like when we're born, we leave home, We live our life focused on God's call, 
And then eventually we're going to go to our real home. And if we can catch that, you'll look at your job different. You'll look at your money different. You'll look at your relationships different. And you'll live way more peaceful. You'll live way more joyful if you see your life like that. So live your best life now. Secondly, though, lose your life. Lose your life. Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. Powerful. You know what he's saying there? Following Jesus changes your identity. Your identity is no longer in your race, your sexuality, your money, your successes, your achievement, any of those things. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of all things. And it's work for us to learn how to lose our lives and lose the old identities and the things that the world wants to tell us make us somebody when each one of us just needs to say, I'm somebody because I'm his. I'm with him. Lose your life. We're in exile. Don't try to find your, your, your life and your identity in what you do for a living or what you look like or how much stuff you can accumulate. Find it in that you are loved preciously by God the Father through His Son. And then how do we live in exile? Long for eternal life. Long and live for eternal life. Until I, I'll start with me, until I, until we acknowledge our real longing, then it's going to be hard to enjoy this life in exile. It's going to be hard to enjoy the things that, that are normal everyday things in life or things that we think are going to make us happy. But when we put everything in life in perspective to eternal life, then I can enjoy relationships and the simple things of life to his glory. We talked about that when we went through Ecclesiastes. Jesus says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Wow. There's a place he's preparing for us in his father's house. How do we long for eternal life? Jesus said in John 17, he said that this is eternal life to know the Father and to know Jesus Christ, his son. That's what eternal life is. So eternal life begins the moment we realize who Jesus Christ is. When we come into agreement that he's Lord of all and Savior of all, and we begin to follow him, eternal life has begun then. And we're just learning how to prepare for eternal life in this life of exile and not being being between two worlds. I was thinking about this. Call home, you call your real home and visit your real home often through prayer and worship. Having a a grandkid and a daughter and son-in-law that are in Hawaii, thank 
you, Lord, for FaceTime. Because I get to get on there and talk to Jolene and hear her little squeaks and cuteness that blows my mind every time I, I see her little face. And she can hear and recognize our voice. We spent 10 days with her. And she actually looks into the, to the phone. She's really smart for two months, man, I'm telling you. Um, but she, that I, can, I can call and, and feel like I'm, I'm with her. And, and maybe this is a cheesy illustration, but work with me here. Like, when you're praying to God, you're going to your real home with the Father. That's your real home, in the presence of the Father. When you worship and you talk to Him, and Jesus brought us into his very relationship with his father. Not a relationship like it, but his eternal, other-centered, perfect relationship that he has with the father. We're in that thing now. We're in it. We're part of it. So talk to him. Bring all your burdens, your cares. He loves you. He's a perfect father. The father is good. He's good God. And then also... Store up treasures in heaven. Jesus talks about this a lot. About storing up your treasures in heaven rather than here on earth where they rot and and get destroyed. He says, and, and so every time you give, every time you sacrifice, every time you're generous, you're storing treasure in heaven. When you give to the things that are most important to Jesus, you are storing up treasures in heaven. When you do something in secret that nobody saw you do, Jesus says, I'm going to reward you for that in the life to come. He's going to reward us for our faithfulness into what our calling was. We all have different callings in here, but there's responsibilities in your life. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a parent, you're a a worker, a student. Being faithful is what he promises to reward. That's success to God. So you could start storing up treasures for heaven right now as you long for eternal life. Put a deposit in your your heavenly bank account, so to speak. When you think about people dying in Christ, death for a believer in Jesus is just a layover on a round-trip ticket back to, to this world. Because, you know, I've experienced my, losing my mom and dad. I know they're with Jesus right now. There is a temporary heaven right now, wherever Jesus is, and the dead in Christ go to be in his presence. But it's temporary. Because, again, one day when he decides, the Father decides, Jesus and the dead in Christ, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he's going to come with those who died in Christ. And if you happen to be alive when Jesus returns, as the resurrection of the dead happens first, then if you're alive at the second coming, you'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. There are a select group of people who are not going to experience death the way the rest of us probably will. I don't know. It could happen today. Please do, Lord. That'd be wonderful. But... You, the, the resurrection and the power of, of, of that change. So death, people that have died in Christ are awaiting to come back with him at his return. And he's going to renew this world. And it's going to be perfect. No sin, no sorrow, no death. The Rockies will win the World Series every year. 
No more snow, hopefully. Just kidding. Um, some of you are like, please, I would like to live in the snow. Well, you choose to live in there, and I'm going to live in Hawaii with Jolene. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, catch this. Paul is quoting Isaiah. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That verse moves my soul. No one's ever even been able to perceive the profound, amazing things that God has prepared for us in the life to come. We can't, we can't get our minds around it. But it's, amaz- it's, it's, it's going to be so beautiful. And so for us in that little ache, that little uh, in our hearts, realizing, man, we're not home, let's live well. Let's live life to the fullest. Let's lose our life and become like Jesus and let him be our identity. Let's learn how to be selfless. Let's learn how to not be irritable. Let's learn how to be patient like Jesus is. That's what he's wanting to transform each one of our hearts and minds to become like him. It was amazing. I got off the prayer meeting Thursday. I was online and I was praying about how to, you know, thinking about how to close this message. And I'm technologically challenged. So I, I, the only way I know how to sign out of my Novation email is to go to YouTube. <laughs> and then I log out. And all of a sudden, the little sidebar that gives you the suggestions had this Psalm 42 song. And I went and clicked it and listened to it. And I was like, oh my gosh, when you hear the lyrics to this song, you realize the Father was directing my thoughts. So listen to this song, let it minister to your soul. It's called Psalm 42. There's a quiet place That gives me peace when I'm alone with you There's a hiding place Your spirit's always there when I'm confused mm-hmm. Only you can purify All this world won't ever satisfy My heart, it cries As the deer pants for the water So my soul needs you, Lord With thirsty God, you're the living water And my soul needs you, Lord And needs you, Lord I need your love 
the Holy Spirit was in that? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Well, just like David says in the Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. We're thirsty. He promises to be the, the living water that satisfies the deepest needs of our life. He's it. We have everything we need in the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of us learning how to access that. And to, to recognize and respond. and So Father, we leave this place today thanking you for your great love. Thanking you, Father, that uh, your son is preparing a place for us. 
in your home and that that home is going to come and fill the earth one day when you return, Jesus. I pray for us to be aware of your presence in the little things. Lord, not just looking for the big things, but to see you present in every area of our life this week. Lord, we trust you. We love you. And thank you first for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.